two and two and one. Oh, shucks, I can't dance. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Open Gov, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories about what open government and open data look like. My name is Richard Pietro, and today I am joined by Herb Lanchbury. He's the CEO of Dynamic Solutions and the founder of Open Data BC. Derek Alton, he is a fellow at Newspeak House and also a Canadian public servant. And I'm also joined by Rena Shaw. She's a data scientist with Agile Blockchain, and she's a member of the steering committee for the Toronto Machine Learning Summit. And all three are board members of the soon-to-be-launched Canadian Open Data Society. Herb, Derek, Rena, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us, Richard. Thank you. All right, so let's start with the basics. Herb, what is the Canadian Open Data Society? Uh, Canadian Open Data Society is a group of grassroots uh, volunteers that have come together to support an event that we hold generally yearly, which is called the Canadian Open Data Summit. The summit's been going since about 2013, and every year it moves around Canada to a different city, and this group is responsible for just ensuring that that happens and helping to facilitate that. Now, from my understanding, it actually began in 2013 as the BC Open Data Summit. And then the following year, you, as being part of that organizing team, had larger ambitions and created the Canadian Open Data Summit and expanded the scale and the scope quite a bit. Am I wrong in thinking this? No, that's right, except for the part that I did it. It was actually a <laughs> There's a lot of people involved. But um, yeah, it started off as the BC Open Data Summit. And then after we ran that one year, we decided that it really should be a national event because there was a lot of, lot of interest from across the whole country. So, so we just decided to rename it the following year. We ran it in Vancouver again in 2014, but called it the Canadian Open Data Summit. And then we launched it out to the rest of the country. What was some of the, um, the stimulus or the motivation for creating the original BC Open Data Summit in terms of what you were trying to accomplish? Uh, well, prior to that, we ran a bunch of events called hackathons. So we, uh, around 2000, probably 11 and 12, we ran a series of about 20 to 25 different hackathons in different cities around the province of BC. And uh, we could just see that there was so much interest. And, um, you know, we, we exposed the concepts and the ideas around open data to probably a few hundred people just during that time, probably several hundred people. And it just, it just seemed like, you know, if you're, if you're just doing like one city at a time, it's, you know, you can only do maybe one, one a year in Victoria, let's say. And that, um, it just didn't seem like enough to, to kind of have little, uh, little events going around the province. So it seemed like, we could do that, plus we could have this bigger event. Uh, around that same time, we had the, the uh, BC Open Data Society, which was a group of volunteers that were pretty interested in doing other events. And, and you know, eventually the idea just came up, hey, why don't we do a bigger event? And um, so we did. Do you remember how it was received by the, by the community? To, because I was part, I was very much early into my career of open government and open data. 
And I remember your event, the, the, the national one in 2014, being one of the first national Canadian event that was not, say, government run. And um, I remember being very excited. I'm assuming that I was not the only one feeling that excitement at the time. Yeah, no, we didn't have any trouble getting uh, people interested. Basically, it's an idea that kind of sells itself. Once you, once you tell people what you're up to and they go, oh, that's pretty interesting, then, yeah, it's not, not that big of a stretch um, to get people to come. Now, you know, having, uh, having people spread all over the country, it's not, it's not always easy for people, people to attend as just attendees to come to an event like that, which is partly why we wanted to bounce it around the country. We wanted to try and get it so that it was in lots of different places. And so lots of people got exposed that way. Not unlike what we did with the hackathons years earlier, just trying to get it around BC. So it's kind of like a bigger model of what we did for BC. So let's start talking about this bouncing around that took place. Um, I know that Open North was heavily involved, I think, with the next iteration, which would have been at the 2015 or 2016 International open data conference in Ottawa, or was there one in between there? 2015. 2015? Yep. So talk about a little bit how that relationship like took place and, and organizing and being able to partner with the IODC and, and, and bringing it to Ottawa. Like, how was that process? Did you put out, for example, an RFP? Was it just sort of something organic? And, or was it very much uh, purposeful that it's like, we're gonna go to Ottawa to the IODC and we're gonna do this? No, the way, the way it worked was we, we didn't think that far ahead, but what I, what I really wanted to have happen is like we couldn't, as a, as a bunch of volunteers in BC, we couldn't, have, we couldn't afford the time to just basically move this thing around the country every year. So, so the thought was, let's create an event where we identify a host for the event and the responsibilities for that host are to sort of shepherd and sponsor and get the event to happen in that city. Plus they have to find the next city. So, mm -hmm. so the model was like, we're going to hand off the entire responsibility for the summit to the next host, including they have to find the next host. Now, some of us are still involved. We have, we had a, we had a standing committee advisory committee to, to just make sure it didn't go completely off the rails, but it really was off. It was really off of our, shoulders to kind of keep it going and honestly i wasn't sure it was going to work like I, I wasn't sure that we could just hand over the entire responsibility that way and people would keep it going but it, it did work so so we were able to pretty much hand it off we we you know for the first year the 2014 year where we tried this model at the end of the summit we we just as part of the responsibilities of the of the city holding the summit which was vancouver we put out basically an rf and um, asked for cities around around the country to pitch it. Now, it's not pitched to governments; it's pitched to community organizations. So we did pitch it, and that year, um, Montreal Ouvert was the one ones that won it. Now, as it turned out, after they won it, they made some structural changes and merged with Open North. So it ended up being Open North that actually did it, but it was the same people. So yeah, that's how it worked. And they, they took it that year and then they found the next, they found the next one. And so, so those of us that had run it for a couple of years really just retreated back to an advisory capacity just to make sure that it, it you know, was, was doing what we originally intended, but we didn't have to do any of the logistics. 
in this story, and I want to uh, clear things up a little bit from a chronological perspective with our audience here. So Herb here uh, was sort of one of the originators of the Open Data Summit. And then Derek enters into the picture a little bit. And then eventually Rena enters into the picture a little bit later on than that. So we're just going to follow a chronological format here. And I want to switch over to Derek because I think it was probably around this time, Derek, unless I'm mistaken, that you got a little bit more involved with the Open Data Summit and, and the community at large. Am I wrong here? Yeah, I think my first foray into, I, I, um, I'd moved into more of the open government, open data space professionally with my work in the government of Canada. And I had already been involved in sort of fixed democracy activism and sort of movement building for a couple of years at that point. But my first real foray into it was actually at the Canadian Open Data Summit in Edmonton. And I think that was 2017. So I attended as a representative from the government of Canada. And it was exciting because that's sort of like you, you find yourself sort of being welcomed into uh, a community of people that is sort of well established. I knew some of them from other things I'd been involved in, but that was my first sort of really entry into the open data, more formally into the open data community and uh, got to attend lots of events. But really, I mean, it's like any conference that the events are interesting, but it's what happens in the hallways and between events and, in, you know, you know, in the evenings and over drinks where, where a lot of the real uh, ideas uh, get flowing and um, was really interested in what was happening. And so I, I kind of drunk the Kool-Aid pretty quickly and, and jumped in with two feet in, in Edmonton. Uh, just again, for, for my obsessive compulsiveness, where was the 2016 uh, summit? Do we know? Was that Fredericton? I have to look it up. I think it was Ottawa, but I have to look I, it up. I do remember the 2016 summit happened in St. John. Oh, that was the St. John one. That's where the first awards um, started coming out. And I believe a Canadian luminary by the name of Tracy L'Oreal won the inaugural award for you know open data leader in canada or something along those lines Absolutely. right yeah that's actually worth noting because uh, one of the things so tracy oreo has an actually important role to play in this and for me one of the things was that she did an absolutely amazing presentation at the edmonton uh cods um where she talked about how there was all these different movements and different sort of streams associated with open data and that what needed to happen is that we needed to stop we needed to start connecting these movements more and sort of weaving them together in a more cohesive collective group and, and the other key piece of her presentation was this idea that we need to start talking about the values that we want like open data isn't just open data there are values that underpin it and we need to be much more explicit about these values and and really bring that into the work that we were doing and i know that that she ended up doing that presentation at the edmonton um the edmonton cods and then she did it again at GovMaker in Bradgerton or St. John's. I can't remember which one it was, like six, eight months later. And that presentation was a real catalyst for bringing together a group of us that, that was one of the feeders into the creation of the Canadian Open Data Society. And I think that's something important to identify here, because as Herb was saying earlier, you had a kind of makeshift informal steering committee a little bit that, that was sort of the stewards of the Open Data Summit and would provide guidance on, for example, perhaps the creation of an RFP and finding those next cities. And, and now you have this great presentation by Tracy who triggers, I think you, Derek, to start being yourself and, and organizing the cats and herding the cats together and saying, let's put some structure around this a little bit 
and formalize our relationship. Again, am I wrong in thinking this? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the exact order of how this happened. Because basically for me, there's three key events. There was CODs at Edmonton, there was GovMaker, and there was CODs in Niagara. And between these, the CODs in Edmonton, I know is the first one. I'm not sure, I can't remember which order was right in terms of Niagara uh, CODs and GovMaker, which one came first. And it might have been just two GovMakers, and that's why I'm getting it confused. I think that's actually probably what happened. Um, but the key thing is this. So the, there's a couple of things that came together. So as Herb mentioned, there's the advisory group that exists uh, that sort of helped, has been helping sort of the shepherding of uh, CODs from year to year to year, just as an advisory group. And I'm not exactly sure how I snuck onto that, but I somehow managed my way onto that soon after Edmonton and got involved in some conversations about how do we keep CODs going forward. And basically what started happening is there was that conversation about we need to figure out you know, the future of CODs and how do we keep CODs moving forward. And at the same time, there's also a group of us who are starting to talk about how do we build a larger, you know, in response to Tracy's presentation, how do we build a larger open data movement in Canada? And how do we start weaving these different pieces together? Because there's a lot of other energy that was happening around this. Like Open North was doing lots of work. Code for Canada was really helping spin up a lot of civic tech communities uh, across the country. And they were also very keen on this idea of open data. Uh, Canada, around this time, the government of Canada federally became co-chair of the Open Government Partnership. And there came a lot of energy around that. And that also led to the hosting of the uh, Open Government Partnership Summit here in Ottawa. So all these things were happening at the same time. And so there's a group of us being like, how do we start organizing this energy to build a movement really inspired by that vision that Tracy laid out? And those two kind of groups kind of coalesced together. The, the group about building a movement for open data in Canada with the advisory group for shepherding CODs moving forward. And so when those two groups kind of combined, just because there's a lot of overlap with the same people, that's one of the things that started catalyzing this idea of we wanted to find a way to help provide more support and continuity between the different CODs. Because one of the things we were noticing was that the different CODs groups, because they're so independent from each other, were often recreating the wheel. And, and we felt like if we could provide them more support, we'd be able to make it easier for, easier for groups to take on the Canadian Open Data Summit, uh, as well as provide some consistency, as Herb said, around what the Canadian Open Data Summit was about. Because one of the things was, you know, have these groups that are pretty independent. They, they, they bring different visions of what Canadian Open Data Society uh, looks like. Um, and so this group was really focusing around that. So that, that led to conversations at GovMaker, but how could we build this movement, which then led to an, an actual session that a group of us hosted at the Niagara Canadian Open Data Summit, where we talked about how do we build a movement for open data in Canada. And there's a couple of things that came out of that. One was the idea of hosting uh, a monthly call that brought together not-for-profits, like basically civil society and government into the same room. Because one of the things we noticed is that civil society was having their own conversation separate from government. And uh, so we wanted to find a way to bring those conversations together. But one of the other things that came out of it was we started having the early conversations about maybe we need to form a more formalized body to support the, both the uh, continued ongoing work of the Canadian Open Data Summit, but also this idea of building a larger movement around open data. And Rena, uh, compared to Herb, who Herb has been in this space for I'm going to say decades to a certain extent here because I think you, you know, you, you've been there since the early 2000s. Derek was, you know, mid 2010s, 
When did you first get involved in the open government, open data community, and how did you get involved particularly with the Canadian Open Data uh, Summit Committee? Okay, so um, I uh, joined or I got a taste of this uh, concept called open data last year, and it was through a different organization. So prior to becoming a board member on uh, the Canadian Open Data Society, I was uh, working as a data cleansing lead for this organization called Data for Good. Now, Data for Good is uh, an organization that's spread all over Canada, but I was a part of the Toronto chapter. And what Data for Good does is that it um, collaborates or liaisons with different NFPs, nonprofit organizations, and it tries to find out what their business problem is. And uh, it tries to um, obtain uh, their problem statement. And it uses data from these NFPs and it combines it just to augment the results. It combines it with open data to help solve their business problems. So I, as the data cleansing lead, uh, was in charge of uh, you know, deciding uh, what the data should look like and uh, clean the data. Uh, in order to uh, successfully conduct hackathons where people can join in and solve the business problems of these NFTs. So for about a year, I did that. And uh, it was great fun solving all these business problems, knowing that the, if the efforts that you're putting in is going, to, um, is going towards social good. Towards the end of my tenure at Data for Good, uh, it was one of my colleagues who pointed me out uh, signposted me to this website called opendatasummit.ca and she said there's a call for the board of directors. I just felt that my skill sets as a practitioner in the field of open data could be of great use in this board. So I applied to this because there was a call for applications. I applied to this, it was an interview process and I was selected. So that was you know, my, my involvement with the concept of open data as well as how I got into the courts and uh, I've been involved since 2019 with with both these concepts and now that the Canadian open data summit sort of steering committee uh, advisory committee has blossomed into a full-blown Canadian open data society what has you particularly excited about what the Canadian open data society will provide for Canadian organizations, you mentioned not-for-profits, but also government and even, you know, uh, small, medium-sized businesses. Uh, I believe that change can truly happen and benefits can truly be transmitted all the way down to the individual. So it's not just about collaboration between governments. It's also about civil society. It's uh, also about um, setting up certain, uh, a certain community of practice. And what I really like or what I uh, find very exciting about this, especially as a practitioner, is um, our vision to basically, uh, like one of the long-term targets that we have is to provide certification uh, for, for people as in, on an individual level uh, who, to certify them as open data fluent and uh, to certify organizations as open data compliant because there is a set of standards that you need to follow. Uh, and also you need to make sure the data that's being provided is not just, oh, it's open data, it's free for you. Also that it is complete and that it is accurate and that it is useful. So uh, for me, this, what, what really excites me is this, you know, this, this particular long-term vision that we have about um, 
educating people about broadening data literacy, uh, being having them be able to apply it in their daily lives, and uh, basically certifying them as um, open data compliant or open data fluent. Yeah. So, so eventually in the future, and th I'm going to start opening it up for everybody. I think we have the the the, the structure and the timeline here, but it's sort of a very exciting concept to have maybe a government or a ministry or a department or an agency be like grade A certified CODs, you know, open data compliant is sort of the, you know, the, the vision at the end, like you want to see that stamp, like prime Angus beef for open data kind of deal. And also, uh, you know, uh, the three motives that we have, we have the three A's. Uh, and this is what we you know, decided because there was a long process for drawing out our vision, our mission statement and our bylaws. And so the three areas that we are focusing on is advocacy, um, assembly and uh, awareness. So um, we have uh, developed uh, plans for uh, you know, fulfilling our, our objective in each of these sectors. And so we are we're really looking forward. We think that there's a lot of potential uh, that is untapped and a lot of benefits that can be gained uh, all the way to the individual level because of the way we are going to advocate for and teach about open data. There are a lot of webinars coming up which, Jed, which uh, Derek can really talk about, uh, including careers in open data. And uh, so we see a lot of value in the work that we are providing. The, um, so let's talk a little bit. And once again, I want to feel free to whoever wants to chime in on this question here. Rina, you just mentioned there's a lot of untapped potential when it comes to open data and obviously anything around it, like open government, civic technology, things of that nature. I'd like for you guys to take a few moments here on how the Canadian Open Data Society through these three A's and certification webinars plan on capitalizing or making sure that untapped potential becomes, you know, pure maple syrup, you know, just perfectly fine tapped maple syrup well i i think that the three streams that that Rena was talking about sort of help us structure that so assembly is really about finding ways of, of bringing the community together like there's so many different groups that are working on and this is what tracy's vision really helps with there's so many different groups that are working on open data in one way or another even if they don't even necessarily describe themselves as part of the open data community uh the more we can bring these people together the more we can have them sort of build off of each other strengthen each other's works but also bring more people in bring more people into the community, really raise the profile um, of, of open data, which gets us from assembly into awareness and really getting this whole concept, this whole idea of open data more into the water supply so more people understand it and understand what's about and why it's important and how it impacts their daily lives and how it can make their lives better. Um, and then the, the advocacy piece is really sort of bringing some of the values that underpin open data, this idea of openness, um, an open society, uh, and advocating for that in places where we can, you know, help shift and shape policy, for example, help change the way organizations, businesses, and governments work uh, to have open data be out there and be more central to how they, they flow in their day-to-day their -day lives. And I think the three of those things together really help, will have a big impact in helping build open data in Canada and really unlock it, its potential. Because open data as a movement, I would argue, is still fairly young. I mean, there's a long history. And, and I think about, we were all on you know, a call a couple of days ago, we were looking at the history of open data in Canada. And you can go way back with it, but as a community and as a movement, it's still fairly new. And so we're still figuring it out. And I think we're going through a growth spurt right now in its, uh, in its development. And Herb, you are, just as Derek was mentioning a moment ago, there's a rich history when it comes to open data in Canada. You are 
one of the people that got the snowball rolling, one of the first early people that got the snowball rolling in the early days. And you are a practitioner and you have your own business sort of that very much relates to this space. I'd like for you to talk a little bit about some of the tangibleness that you would like to see come out of the Canadian Open Data Society. Rena and Derek did a great job of explaining how, you know, holistically what our vision is. But you being in the space for as long as you have, you must be tired of seeing things not being done, for example, that you want to be done through, say, perhaps the Canadian Open Data Society or tangible skills that you want to see being developed, perhaps in the public service or even in schools. Try to make it real for us a little bit as to what you'd like to see come out of the Canadian Open Data Society. Uh, well, the, I mean, the primary purpose in my mind of the Open Data Society is to support the summit. So this, that's the reason it was formed in the first place, and that's really its primary objective. Now, out of that, there will be a lot of other things. So, for, you know, open data really is an old thing. What, what's really old thing? Like Julius Caesar used to release the records of the amount of grain that was in the stores. So it's really, really old. But, but the label open data is something that's relatively new. Um, and people use so-called open data a lot more than they realize today, already today. So, so it's not like we have to talk people into this idea of using data from other sources. What, what I think, what I think is a, one of the primary objectives for me is to think about um, encouraging people that have data to really realize that the better job they can do publishing their data, the more value can be realized from that data. So data is a funny thing and it's, it's, it's uh, like a non-scarce resource. So like if I, if I take my data and I give it to you and you get some value out of it, I don't lose anything. Like I can actually give it to another person and they can get value out of it too. It's something that can be used over and over infinitely without diminishing its value. So it's different than other goods in that, in that way. Um, and so there's governments that have, have done a pretty good job of understanding it and started to get on board. Businesses have also done a reasonably good job, but I'd like to see more businesses getting involved. And then, um, as Rena was saying, like the NGO and nonprofit sector, I think has a lot to benefit from this, this as well. One of the other aspects, so, so in terms of like just getting more diverse people involved in understanding what, what the value is for them, that's one, one thing. The other thing I think in terms of the standards, we're building on the work of people that have come before. There's a, there's a group called Open Knowledge that has a standard called Open Definition. You can look it up at opendefinition.org. Tells you exactly what open data is. And it tells you a lot about what, what it means. You know, there's three main aspects to open data. There's, there's a legal framework, like do you have a license that allows people to use your data? Do you, is it available? Have you put it somewhere where people can get it, i.e. the internet? And is it in a format that can be read? Those are the three primary aspects of what makes open data open data. And so the more we can, the more we can get publishers to adhere to a standard like that, then I think the more value they will get from seeing their data spread widely. So when you can get, when you can, when you can say our data is actually open data, and here's this, here's the kind of the confirmation of that from a third party, that that really lowers a barrier for people like having to decide whether your data is worth using or not. You know, if, if you can see the stamp on it, well, if I see the, it's kind of like open source software. If I see 
if I just if I see the open data stamp on it, like there's a little icon that goes with it, I know that it's it's free to use. I'm not going to get into any kind of trouble if I use it. It's going to be readable. It's going to be accessible. That just takes a whole cognitive load off of me trying to decide whether I should use your data or not. So I think I think those are the two main things. And from the from the you know just having the scope being yeah it's about businesses it's about government it's about society it's about right down to the individual level anybody can publish data and you you grab a license you take your data and you put it on the internet you're done really and then also doing that in a way using some standards that have already been developed doing that in a way that people recognize it and make it easy i think i guess those are my key things and i'm going to go back to rena here in that let's talk a little bit about <laughs> the aggravations that I'm assuming all four of us have experienced when it comes to open data, but you in particular, Rena, are a data scientist with a master's degree in data sciences. You've experienced and witnessed like open data in a way is like ice cream. You have vanilla, you have bad quality ice cream, you have, you know, Kawartha Lakes, you have, you know, you know, cow's ice cream and, and you have Rocky Road. You've experience a lot of different types of open data as a student and in your work. What are some of the biggest aggravations that you have when it comes to seeing, say, for example, an open data set that sits inside an open data portal and you're like, no, this, this does not meet the Rena Shaw standards. It would certainly not meet the Canadian Open Data Society standards. Well, the truth is that there is an abundance of data even if you consider something like IoT, which is the Internet of Things, there is this abundance of data. But what we lack in order to derive something insightful from it is information. So it's like having bauxite and having aluminium. One is the ore, one is the finished product. So open data for it to be really useful and to be able to benefit society you need to extract the information out of it. So there are, uh, I mean, the, the number of people or professionals that can do that is definitely increasing. But I think what I, what I do get a little aggravated about is that pe people don't really understand how complex it is to manipulate and to, to extract value from data in general. Um, so I, I see a lot of fake data scientists. I'm so sorry for saying so your issue is not so much with the open data sets themselves. It's the, the, the equivalent of the Instagram influencers, oh celebrities <laughs> to data science. <laughs> well, Am I wrong in taking this here? Well, it's you have not a professional just, um, you know, sort of, you know. People who deal with data, but talking about data itself, you know. There, there are questions about, you know, the accuracy of the data. There are questions about the privacy of the data that was, um, that was collected. And these are very important points that a lot of people uh, don't really pay attention to. Like in Europe, we still, we still have the GDPR, which is a good thing, but not so much in North America. So uh, I guess accuracy and you know, the right to privacy is something that uh, um, people must take into account whenever they try to collect or publish open data. And that's, I remember reading an article back in the early 2000s about that very thing when in the world of data, um, the, the whisper in the emperor's ear becomes the lobbyists that collect data because, as we all know, uh, data can be collected in many different ways. But I want to go over to, um, to Herb and Derek here 
and, and maybe Herb first, because I know you are very much someone that uses data actively in a professional way. You must have come across some open data sets that claim to be open data sets, but you know they're clearly or not. Like, what are some of the your biggest pet peeves when it comes to these quasi open data sets that, that you wish you never see again? Well, uh, I mean, I remember, I don't know if they're still publishing it this way. I won't mention the city, but publishing um, open data as scanned images in a PDF. So I think those days are gone, hopefully, but um, publishing data in a PDF doesn't count. Sorry, uh, no offense to Adobe, but that's just, just way, <laughs> too, way too high a bar. So um, there's, you know, there's the, the formats, uh, and then the license is a big one for me. Like, just pick an open license. There's lots of open license. Look at open gov or, uh, opendefinition.org. There's a whole, whole slew of licenses you can choose from. You don't need to reinvent it, the license. Government Canada has a great license, in fact. And uh, and then, yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody's publishing data on the internet, thankfully. But uh, the other, I guess the other the other little bit of a pain is the websticles. So where- Say that again? A websticle, that's where it's on the web, but you have to go through some sort of obstacle to get to it. Like you have to, you have to kind of log in or provide a token or some crazy thing. Like, Here's the way the internet works. There's a URL. You should be able to click it and get the data. That's it. Yeah. You know. So um, yeah, I think those are my main ones. Yeah, I, I'm as you can tell, I'm a pretty big advocate of the uh, open definition. So uh, if people just did that, that would that would make it uh, pretty good. But then you know, uh, I guess one of the other things is the C most a lot of data is published in CSV which is a comma delimited format, which is great, but it has its limitations. Um, I think anybody that's worked with CSVs would realize that, mostly because it's not typed and it's got a few different um, dialects. It would be great to see a, a format kind of evolve that was just a little bit better than that, but I don't know, that'll take some time. But, hey, um, but are, you, are you suggesting then that a format like JSON or, yeah, JSON's, JSON's pretty good as long as it's streamable. It has to be, whatever the format we come up with has to be kind of streamable, which means you need to be able to consume it in, in like bite-sized chunks. You don't have to like eat the whole elephant. You can just like take a little mm -hmm. bit at a time. Um, so JSON itself, typically you, JSON is published in objects. So you, you have to take the whole object, but there are streamable dialects or sort of subtypes of JSON that allow that. So yeah, that could be. Or row, another one is row JSON. So like it's kind of like CSV, but instead of each line being comma delimited, it's actually JSON. So I'm getting kind of technical here, but but yeah, um, the, I think those are the main things. Just getting, just getting, uh, you know, getting down to the very basics of like, is it license? Is there a license? Is it readable? You know, and, and people talk a lot, a lot about big data, like it's in somehow overlap, and it does overlap. But honestly, most data is not big data. Most data sets are not big data. Most data is probably big data because big data is so big. But, um, but in terms of, you know, there's lots and lots of data sets that don't really qualify. Um, so you don't need to think about all the big data issues when you're just talking about city data sets, for example. It's very organized that way. And, and if you, when you mentioned CSV files, essentially we're talking about Excel files and you don't need to have a, a coding background like knowing Python or JSON to necessarily dive in and get value from an open data set. And maybe that's sort of the, uh, 
we'll call them the 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 build not we're not the lego stage yet but those like those kid building blocks that that you have the the big ones is perhaps what those csv and and excel files are like yeah yeah they're and they're great i mean let's face it excel is the number one business intelligence tool in the world because it's ubiquitous it's everywhere so lots of people know how to use excel it's great man so i'm you know that's just you know for the people that want to go further than that there's lots and lots of tools to go further but excel is a great tool for just or, or open office you know calc um, yep. just being able to get a csv off the city of vancouver and have a look at it yeah so and, and derek we're going to finish off with you here because we got to start wrapping up the episode you are not necessarily a data scientist but in your short time in this space you have seen i think an evolution perhaps around the conversation of open data that's evolved and i'll give you an example of what i mean when i first sort of came into the space in the early 2010s it was really more about open data as being a force for economic development right and and that has shifted like how have you seen perhaps the conversation around open data changing and maybe do you feel that even at this stage we haven't really nailed open data's position in the world so for example herb said that a lot of people use open data, but they don't even know that it's open data, right? For, you know, but maybe, I don't know, can you speak to that a little bit, uh, the evolution of open data and its place in society? Data is shifting in terms of its relevance uh, in our day-to-day -day lives. We now live in the world of, of data being a central uh, aspect of, that drives our economy. I mean, there's that, that quote that, that is argued about all the time of data is the new oil. And, whether data is new oil or not, kind of, it, it doesn't matter. The, fa the fact that that's even a statement points to the fact that data is hugely important uh, in everything we do. And we're still figuring out how to work with that. We don't really know how to deal with data. There's a lot of questions like, I, I guess earlier, we're very much in the early stages of some of these things. Uh, you know, Rena mentioned the idea of privacy. It's a big thing. Data and privacy is, a, you know, that's, that's a world I do play in a bunch. Uh, from more of a policy side of perspective is, you know, how do we, build policies to protect people's privacy with regards to data, how does that interact with open data? What's the relationship there look like? So I think what we're trying to figure out is how do we balance the amazing potential of open data to be a driver, not just of innovation and, and the economy, uh, but also just like on a, our day-to-day -day lives, making our lives easier and better with our realization of the importance of privacy around the data we have. And how, as governments, do we you know, what, what's the role of governments in this space? Governments have a ton of data that, that we have, but then we also have a role as being a bit of a referee to protect our citizens with regards to the massive amounts of data that's collected by the private sector. You know, there's a lot of, you know, the, the social dilemma was that documentary that dropped this past a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we can have a whole conversation about that documentary, but the key thing is that it really sort of brought to light this idea of how much of, you know, Facebook and Google and I are, are using data to uh, one, create amazing experiences for people, but two, also do some pretty scary stuff. Uh, and so uh, I think open data has now been wrapped up into a much bigger, bigger conversation about our relationship to data, uh, both individually, but as a society and as a world. And that conversation is still early days and we have a lot to figure out with that. And it's gonna become even more prevalent as you know, Reno also mentioned the internet of things. The, the amount of data that we are gonna be collecting is growing exponentially. And as we embed, you know, internet technologies into everything in our daily lives, that stream of data is just going to get, it's going to turn into a deluge. And that is going to intersect with artificial intelligence technologies that are going to be used to manage 
and 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 to try to capture and take advantage of that deluge of data. So it's a crazy world we're going into, and it's gonna be interesting to see how it evolves. What a perfect way to end this conversation because we are sort of entering a brave new world, and it's great to know that a Canadian open data society will be existing because there'll be a whole bunch of new faces, young, old, that will want to know more. And finally, having at least in Canada a place to point to that that people can enter their journey into open data, I think is fantastic. And Herb, actually, I do have one last question to ask you. And it's a question that is usually reserved for people that created big, giant things like Airbnb or something along those lines. Did you think that when you put together or you were a member of a team that put together Open Data BC, you'd find yourself essentially setting forward the first domino for the creation of the Canadian Open Data Society? Uh, no. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Herb, it's time to give your Oscar speech. <laughs> right. No, I don't. But I'm assuming this, this must bring a lot of warmth you know, for yourself to see, especially, like I said, the context you bring to the community is tremendous because you've been in it for so long, so you can see progress. And I guess my question is, to a certain extent, have you seen the movement moving much quicker in the last little while, or has it stalled, or, or anything along those lines? Um, I would, I would say it was moving pretty quick in the very beginning. When, when you say for, very beginning, give us forbidding beginning for me. So, you know, in the two thousands, late two thousands, it was moving pretty fast and it, I think it cooled down a little bit, but now it's starting to heat up again. I think as people see, people are really starting to realize, I mean, data is, you know, super hot right now as a, as a discipline and as a, as a resource. And so, yeah, people are really, really getting the importance of like, whose data is this? And can I use this data? Those are, those are big questions that I think people are really starting to realize that are important to answer and um, CODs will hopefully help them get answers to that question. Well, I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no reasons to doubt that it will. Uh, there's a great bunch of board members that have been working hard on this for a number of years. But it's not a fly-by-night sort of enterprise. And I want to thank you three for, for being part of that team and making it happen. And, uh, but before I, I let you all go, and we'll start with Rena here, uh, please let us know how we can reach you, either your, your Twitter handle, your LinkedIn, uh, something other, uh, if they want to get a hold of you. Okay, so um, we have set up uh, a social media presence on five uh, platforms so far. Uh, you, um, you can definitely book. Uh, tickets on Eventbrite to our launch session that will, uh, we're going to launch on the 16th of October and um, uh, on our uh, Eventbrite page, on our Twitter page, I, I will very easily, po uh, very happily post all the handles for this. So we've got a presence on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, Twitter and Eventbrite and um, we'll also be putting up our website pretty soon. Uh, you'll, you'll find the links to uh, connecting with uh, all of these platforms. But for now, if you do want to follow us on Twitter, our handle is at Open Data Society. And we will be sharing you know, the tickets to the, in, in Eventbrite uh, to our launch session. And we would really love for all people who are interested in the concept of open data, whether it's uh, technology professionals, whether it's public servants, whether it's uh, civic societies, we'd 
love for all of you all to connect with us on various social platforms including twitter at open media society and attend our launch session on the 16th of october and how can people reach you personally rena if they want to know more okay so if you want to reach me personally i do have an email id it says rena from cons at gmail.com so that's r e e n a f r o m c o d s so rena from cons at gmail.com that's my personal email id so um, any questions related to the summit to our uh, working committee to all the events that we plan for uh, people who are interested um you can just shoot them at and derek how can people get a hold of you if they want to uh the, the best way you can hold of me is probably twitter uh at derek alton d-e-r-e-k-a-l-t-o-n uh i'm pretty active on twitter so you can find me there you can dm me tweet at me uh, i'll respond pretty quickly and you herb i'm at herb lanchbury on twitter at herb l-a-i-n-c-h-b-u-r-y and for those listening, I will definitely be providing all those links for each of the sort of Twitter handles and the invitation uh, for the launch event in the uh, um, podcast summary. And unless there's anything else, I want to thank you guys uh, for participating in the podcast and sharing your story and giving us a bit of a chronology here. Yeah, go ahead, Derek. Well, I mean, we, we got to give a shout out to you, Richard. Uh, you've been a huge part of the open data movement in Canada as well. And um and and part of the journey of creating the canadian open data society you've been part of that journey in all sorts of different ways um so special shout out to you for your all your roles in this and for giving us a platform now today to to, to share that the launch that we're very excited about well well it's my pleasure and thanks for, uh, well thank you all for thanking me and we're being all very canadian here about and thanks and and so on and uh and this is how i usually end my episodes to be honest is by also thanking our audience for listening today and as usual uh, please leave us a rating or a comment on how we can make the podcast better or if there's any guests or any stories that you'd like to hear so until next time let's make it open